Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we talk about the potential for a spending splurge from the next UK government, whether we should be alarmed by all that extra debt, and whether the UK and the world have already reached their limit, with Toby Cross, Head of Client Investment Solutions, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Hello and welcome to this week's Word on the Street. I'm Toby Cross and I'm joined this week from behind a glass screen to keep his germs at bay by our illustrious Chief Investment Officer, William Hobbs. Now, Will, hopefully you're going to make it through to the end of this podcast without dropping to the floor. Thank you very, very much for joining us. And of course, it is an important week, isn't it? The election's only a few weeks away. This week has seen the major political parties release their manifestos. And without commenting on where and how the spending's directed in these manifestos, my media observation is that it all sounds really expensive, like from every side of the political aisle. It was only about two years ago that, you know, we're in a state of total panic about the national debt. And now everyone seems to think that there's, you know, plenty of money to go around. Well, the question is, are these manifesto promises sustainable? Happy Friday, Toby. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think... um one thing that seems to have changed in the kind of uh, in the period in the last few years, as you kind of rightly point out, is the collective appetite um, for safe havens. Um, now, this is the idea that you know the act of lending to a relatively reputable government, where interest rates are set independently, uh, such as the UK or the US, um, it's a pretty safe activity. I should get my money back at least. Now, well, as we've discussed um, on this podcast a lot, um, this has been a pretty kind of jarring, jittery economic cycle. Uh, You know, scarred by the last downturn, investors have tended to seek safety perhaps a little more than they might usually. Um, And this is just one of the reasons why you continue to see very low interest rates um, around the world. You could even argue um, that these lenders um, are a bit less sensitive to government largesse um, than they have been historically. Uh, So, the US has really only just done its kind of massive tax cut, you know, big deficit spending. Um, and yet they are borrowing for 10 years at 1.8% still. Um, now, this is pretty extreme. And actually, we're among those who expect that interest rates uh, around the world at all maturities um, should um, uh, should unevenly rise over the next um, few years. However, even factoring this in, um, we still think that there was always a bit more room uh, than feared for many of these governments to spend a bit more. Uh, we probably rule out Italy and Greece on that. But, you know, there's probably, you know, the likes of UK probably do have a bit more room to spend. All right. Well, look, you're going to need to explain it to me again, I'm afraid. Look, last week I said I understood it, but I think I was a bit premature. I'm not feeling so confident now. We need to pay this money back eventually, surely. Now, one of my heroes, the great investor Ray Dalio, he's written loads on this subject of of debt cycles. And his observation is that aren't we just borrowing from our future? Isn't this just another example of effectively stealing from our children and our grandchildren? This sounds unwise, but I'm going to have to disagree with Ray. I know you. Uh, I know. <laughs> yes, yes, w- William, you're going to disagree with one of the big, world's largest hedge fund managers. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's made billions um, by setting up a very successful hedge fund, populated with an incredible team, governed by a process that seems to work. Um, but I'm afraid that doesn't mean he has anything meaningful to say on the economy. Still less, I might add, on how we should live our lives, as per his book uh, Principles. Now, on debt, um, as you say, he argues that one of my 
my favourite books. <laughs> I won't comment on that. <laughs> I, don't anyway, know, I don't want to know. It's a popular book. No, I don't want to know what your favourite no, book no, is. That's for sure. Yeah, it's It'll good. be dull. It'll be dull. <laughs> true, true. Uh, but he he argues that um, you know, obviously at the at the personal level, borrowing can only mean that I have less to spend in the future, and so therefore goes the economy. But but I think that's ridiculous uh, because. You know, who am I paying it back to? Presumably, there is a lender now who is having to spend less, um, who will able to be spend more when I pay it back. The point is that debt does not boost total spending power necessarily. It redistributes it. Lenders have less to spend. Uh, there was a, a great... Um, there was a great article uh, talking about a, a hero of mine. This is really tragic, but uh, he's the sort of... Uh, the god of uh, sort of equity market valuation, a guy called Damadoran. Um, he teaches at NYU. Uh, All right. So, so, I, I, <laughs> so I like Professor Damadoran as well. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a amazing. corporate finance genius. Yeah, he's, so he is a genius. On that, we'll agree. But he, he wrote, uh, as in the Christmas Carol, the ghosts of Christmas, uh, uh, the ghosts of market gurus from past crises have risen, uh, convinced that their skill uh, in calling the last correction provides special co- insight on this market. In the process, many of them are showing that their success in market timing was more luck than skill. So this is basically saying that the coin has no memory. <laughs> well, that's something right. like that. But there must be, there must be a there must be a limit to the logic of of this. I, just help me get my head around it. How much debt is too much? So Reinhardt and Rogoff's now infamous paper suggested that eighty percent of GDP was the limit at the financial uh, at the individual country level, rather mm-hmm. um, before your growth state starts to deteriorate. Now I am somewhat um I'm somewhat put off by precision in the liberal arts. Mm-hmm. So 80% is obviously indicative. What do you, what do you make about it? Is there anything we can say about global levels of debt with that in mind? I mean first things first no, not not really I don't think. I mean at the global level there can be no net debt, remember? Um assets have to match liabilities uh, unless um we found a way to borrow intergalactically as my boss always used to say um now that would be a crisis wouldn't it but I think elon musk is working on that well I'm sure yeah yeah that's the next crisis like i said but, but but the really important point i think is that um it is really about the relationship between debt and growth so yes borrowers tend to spend and you can find that rapid increases in borrowing are associated with faster economic growth but debt is not what you call a kind of factor of production um i.e. kind of an essential ingredient well, for it's a zero sum game isn't it that there is a finite amount of money at a point in time and it is either owned by somebody or it is borrowed by somebody so it is doing some good somewhere i guess well i mean i think that the point about it is really about that what 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 the question to ask yourself is what drives growth and really the ingredients for growth are, are us, you know, and and how we use the physical commodities around us. Now, the, that's the interplay between the learning curve and new technology. Now, debt can be part of the organisation of those factors of production. I'll give you an example, and you'll tease me straight away. But in the UK, I haven't had an 18th or 17th century reference for a while, so I'm going to try and get away with this one. Minutes, but, in fact. But the, but the UK, the UK is a good example here. And the UK, you know, if you look at national or government debt, it was really born here in the wake of the nine, year, nine years' war uh, in the closing stages of the 17th century, uh, and it exploded over the course of the 18th century, driven by various wars. Now, it grew over seven by 7,000% between 1700 and the end of the Napoleonic Wars in 1815. Now, that that coincided with the first industrial revolution 
Now, because living standards for UK citizens enjoyed a dramatic and sustained increase around that time, it could superficially suggest a link between the two. However, on closer inspection, this connection starts to fade. Now, although data on incomes are obviously unreliable for this period, it's interesting to note that life expectancy in the UK really only started to see dramatic increases as late as the kind of 1870s, decades after uh, modern day historians date the end of the first industrial revolution. Now, back to the debt point, what you tend to find actually is that uh, this period um, of unprecedented increases in living standards and life expectancy in the UK began after public debt levels had peaked, i.e. about circa 1816, and actually coincided with a period of marked deleveraging from the UK government. So as public debt to GDP uh, ratio went from well north of 200% in the early 19th century to a low of just 25% uh, in 1914. So you can see that it's a very uh, a very muddy relationship between growth and living standards, productivity, uh, and deleveraging, leveraging, if you see what I mean. Okay, well, so if I put myself in the place of our listeners, I heard one of the economisty types at a major bank telling me not to worry about debt the other day uh, uh, after the financial crisis. Do you think that's really credible? Look, I mean, uh, uh, we want to be careful here, obviously, but none of this is to say that debt can't be, uh, you know, can't be a problem at both the personal, national and government level. You know, there must be you know, and global level, sorry, there must be, um, there must be limits. Um, it's just harder to know what those limits are than, um, you know, where those limits are than many argue. Uh, and it's also worth um, remembering that the last crisis was probably not one of aggregate insolvency, weird as that sounds. Uh, we've said this before, but Which, it was... What do you mean by it, it, it was, I think, more one of sudden illiquidity. So if we think of, you know, the world economy, the monetary system, in effect, it's a confidence trick. It's always been a confidence trick. Uh, if you turn around and tell me, you know, you and Raoul, who's helping us record this, uh, you know, that uh, the £20 note that I'm waving at you is not uh, worth anything and enough people agree with you too, then it's not worth anything. Um, the same is true to a certain extent uh, of the banking sector. Um, you know, if enough people believe Bank A is insolvent, then it is. It is. Um, and that, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter about the reality. Now, in hindsight, we can very clearly say that the, you know, the systemic buffers, uh, the things that should help, um, you know, should help that confidence trick keep going, if you like. Um, so, for example, you know, the amount of capital that banks have to hold in case uh, loan, loans turn sour. Now, that was way too small. Uh, but, you know, that has now been corrected. So... Look, it's a really complicated subject, and I'm not going to try and tell you that all is rosy and everyone should lever up to their eyeballs and spend it all on mince pies, or that the UK government should feel free to do whatever it wants fiscally. However, there must be value-enhancing projects that the government can find when it can fund at these rates, uh, and the same is probably true the world over. And we do expect the world over uh, to see governments uh, in aggregate start to spend a bit more. People have argued that you know central banks have run out of room a little bit, uh, and that's why, you know, a lot of the onus now is on um, is on uh, on what the governments do next. And we feel there is a bit more room to increase debt piles and spend uh, providing those projects are the right kind of projects.
Okay, enough. I, th- I, th- I think I, uh, I think <laughs> I get it. So, listeners, if you want any more on that subject, um, Will and the team can obviously go on for days about mm. it. But do do send uh, any questions you have either to Will or myself. Best way to do that is via LinkedIn. Now, Will, there are a couple of other I's to dot and T's to cross for this week's news. Um, economic data. Is there anything materially out there that changes our opinion? Uh, so we've had a big batch this morning, and I guess just looking at sort of you know the week overall, uh, I'd say there's just a little bit more encouragement again you know that um, the world's manufacturing sector it's finding its feet a little bit um, you know the, the the leading indicators for Europe they're not sort of bouncing higher necessarily but neither are they saying that things are getting materially worse uh, so again you know that confidence that the next recession is not imminent um, that's grown a little bit this week I would say so we're we gonna get a, a global economic treat with a mini trade deal between the US and China before Christmas yes or no uh yes probably there's never a yes or no out of me but uh, yes yes. On, on the one hand and on the yeah, other hand, on the one hand bring me a one handed economist that was it isn't, it? isn't that Truman it, it was, was Truman yeah, yeah. but, uh, but uh, yes I mean I, if to, uh, probably I would be sort of you know I'd be tempted to say probably um I think they are now just, or this feeling seems to be there, sort of haggling over enforcement mechanism at the moment. But remember, this really is a very limited, the deal is likely to be very limited in scope. You know, none of the really big issues to do with intellectual property and all those kind of things uh, are likely to be covered here. Um, We're really just talking about kind of, you know, agricultural you know, commodities and things like that. So, but even that, you know, will be helpful for corporate sentiment, one suspects, and helping people sort of, you know, get on with, uh, get on with their lives a little bit. Great. That's all we've got time for, Will. Next week, we'll be having a look at the lessons we've learned from this year as investors start having a think about what they're going to be doing for next year, including things like the uh, 2020 presidential elections, I guess. Will, thank you for making it off your sick bed. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we hope uh, to catch up with you next week for another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.